Hello and welcome to the Enigma podcast. I'm Simon Making, your host, and I'm on a journey as a neurodivergent individual to learn from other people to better understand myself and the world around me. This podcast is people's opinions only and it's not a replacement for medical advice. So if you need medical advice, go and find it elsewhere. So welcome to episode three, where I talk to leading neurodiversity advocate, podcaster and author, Theo Smith. So welcome, Theo, to our Enigma podcast. Hello. Thank you for welcoming me. Can't believe I'm here. Love it. Yeah, and one of the, the greatest things about having you on is you have like this amazing energy, uh, which I've noticed through the, the, the amazing different things you've done, because you I mean you're all across YouTube, which is uh, fantastic. One of the things, uh, or a few things I mean, I'd like to start off with is you have created a book, Neurodiversity at Work, with Amanda Kirby, which uh, I'm in the process of reading, which is an amazing book. But also you've got a podcast which is on episode 36 making everyone else look like novices here but it's called eliminating kryptonite and enabling superheroes and i think that's a great start for a conversation is is what is the superhero bit for you well for me the superhero kind of represents um what i couldn't find several years ago when i started to explore the concept of neurodiversity and that was the strengths in individuals who often we saw so much focus around challenge. And that's not to underestimate the challenges that people face. Um, but ultimately, it's like, you know, going into a store to buy an iPhone. And all they want to talk about is the fact that it's a bit glitchy. Sometimes the screen goes off, um, the, the, it gets hot. You know, they don't focus on it. it's the most innovative technology. Um, yeah. It's powerful. It's beyond anything else. You know, so already you get turned off to the idea of how incredible something is. And for me, that's what the kind of the superhero, superpowers concept is. It's enabling people to feel good about themselves rather than constantly being reminded of the stigma and the challenges uh, that they have faced all their lives already. So for me, that's what I wanted to look at. And that's what I wanted to be able to show to, um, I don't know, young people like my children, for example, that they, they do have strengths. So, so what are your superpowers then? That's, that's the key, you see, that's what I'm interested in. <laughs> well, what are my superpowers? Yeah. Well, okay, so um, my superpower is the ability to uh, be able to connect, to be able to like, empathise with people, yeah. to be able to see things that other people don't see. And I literally mean that. Um, I could be walking down the street and I'm processing a lot of information. And just as an example with my wife, I will see people coming from a long distance away. Yep. I'll be thinking about where they're going, what they're going to do next. I'll be taking in all these different sights and sounds. Now, but the, <laughs> the, the funny thing is, that although that is a superpower for me, being able to see the outside world in a way that nobody can see it, I really struggle with my internal mechanisms and world, like just knowing where one foot's going to go down in front of the next. So I might trip over my own feet and yep. hit into a lamppost, um, which is unfortunate, but I would have seen, you know, all these other things going on around me that people uh, may have missed. And I think that, that if you translate that to your work environment, to the education environment, wherever it is in life, and um, being able to see things that other people don't see has significant value. Yeah. But it needs to be empowered, right? People need to, be, need to give you the time to be able to explain and share those things that you're seeing that they may not. That's it, because the workplace can be, you know, 
focused on deficits uh, quite often and it's about finding like, like you're saying your superpower and I find it interesting when you talk about all the information coming in because my wife calls it my radar so I pick up on stuff very quickly and particularly my, I've worked in the covert arena uh, so I've it's been a very useful skill but I think what's interesting as well is one of the things we always talk about is highs what's the kryptonite then what what takes the wind out of your sails it can be really simple things so I, again if i'm sitting there with my wife and she mentions anything about bills now i can think creatively around um problem solving but if she wants me to think around the kind of the the numbers in singular points like well what have you done with that where is that up to at what point have yeah. we got with that have we thought about this bill and how that's going to impact? And like, my, literally, I can feel my whole body getting hot, my head getting hot. Yeah. I feel like I'm swelling up. Like, I yeah. feel the tension in my body. Yeah. And when I was younger, this would be demonstrated sometimes in, you know, physical violence. I might hit out at somebody because yeah. they're putting me in a position where I, I can't, I, I'm trapped. I'm like a rat in the corner of a room where people are coming yeah. in to get me. And I'm like, I'm, the only way out is through you. So that's the way I'm coming. Now, as you get a bit older and wiser and you have an incredible partner, not always the case in business, you may not have an incredible mar uh, manager or team who understand that, people press on those buttons. Yeah. And they, they, they press on those buttons to see what happens. When you've got a good partner who understands you, they know not to press on those buttons because yeah. they know by pressing on that button, they're gonna create something uh, that is not positive that's not conducive to that person's mental health and well-being, right? Yep. So that, it's, it's that, and you can multiply that across all different areas of life. But for me, it's, it's process, it's detail, yep. it's numbers, because um, I, I probably have some kind of type of dyscalculia as well. Yep. Um, because, yeah, so, so you add all these things up together, and I can, from one point, be flying through the sky, shooting lasers from my eye, it's living life, you know, I'm incredible. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm surrounded by kryptonite because somebody's asked me to focus on this element of detail that has completely disempowered me from feeling good about myself. I, I love the way you, you present that because I, I share that sort of the feeling and the way you've, you've said that, that kryptonite because uh, very similarly, uh, uh, risk-taking, really big thing in my early life, uh, getting in trouble with the police, getting involved with things I shouldn't, criminality, etc. I mean, I was a stepping stone from from jail before two friends took me away and said you need to join the the air force uh and that that was life-changing uh for me and and interesting that violence aspect that that, that you've you've touched on that's something that people are very scared to talk about definitely and well to your point about the uh, the challenge around um around the, the, the violence aspect and stuff and people are people don't want to talk about it and people might lean on some of that but the reality is is I've not changed as a human being, right? I, w I still was highly empathetic, yeah. caring, considerate. Yeah. I saw a lot of what was around yeah. me, but that didn't mean that in a moment of where I felt endangered and I felt without control, yeah. and I was in a sea drowning, yeah. and even if somebody came to help me, they were coming under yeah. because I was coming up. Because yeah. in that moment, I did not know what I was doing. Yeah. Now, many years on with support networks, with people who loved me and cared for me and looked after me, you find a way through that. But not everybody's got that, right? Yeah. Not everybody has that person that came to you. Mine was acting. My mum getting me involved in acting so that I could self, 
I could express myself yeah. in a way that wasn't violent. If I, if I, every time I came to the point where I felt at risk, I either ran or I attacked, right? Yep. And that was either physically, psychologically, emotionally, I was in or I was out. Yeah. And as you start to find ways to express yourself, or you have good people who pull you out of that, um, you find other ways to deal with some of those emotions. And I still get them. Yep. And I still find myself where I'm like detention yeah. in the end. But I'm like, I've been here before. I need to, I need to leave this room. Yep. I need to leave this situation. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I've been on a call with a manager where my tension is so high where I'm like, I need to get off this car. I'm sorry, I need to go. What, what we're dealing with here is we, we, could, we need to stop it because I need to go and think about what, we're, what the conversation that we're having here, I need to think about it because at the moment I feel like I'm cornered and I don't know how to deal with what you're trying to tell me. And for a lot of people, they, they've never experienced this, so they have no idea of what is going on in front of them. Yeah. They have no idea that they're about to press explode. Yeah. And they're, and they're literally two seconds away yeah. from doing it, and they press it, boom! It's really interesting, because one of the things I say when I get in that mode, and rarely, I mean, I don't think I've ever done it at work, but I communicate with folks saying, I need to leave, I'm about to burst. I see myself like a balloon, I'm about to burst, I need to go. And it's interesting because we are in the process of diagnosis for ADHD for my young son, and that's those violent outbursts he's an amazing and beautiful and smart young boy but those outbursts of because you mentioned not just the the physical violence you're talking about the kind of emotional violence the the name con things like that and as an ex-forces dad that's quite a challenging thing for me to deal with because again i'm taking all this information in at rejection dysphoria these things i'm getting all this in too uh, it, it, but it's nice to actually for someone actually to talk about this it's and it, it, not enough people do because of the stigma because the reality is the data says you know a fast company article i think it was cited that something like 80 percent of people in hr would still had take a negative view to hiding somebody on the autism spectrum or adhd or with tourette's i mean that that's the reality of what we're talking about right so people don't want to talk about yeah. it they don't want to come out but they are now starting to look at their children and go okay well i maybe have a responsibility my my daughter is in the same position um just a couple of weeks ago autism diagnosis right. although uh, it, that's not common knowledge okay. so i don't know what okay. i'm doing yeah. but, but but you know no 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 but this is it's important that we discuss yeah. that so and an adhd diagnosis will be next but that is a mirror to me because she is in many ways a mirror to me you know the they often don't fall Far from the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, and, and that's true. And it's one of the interesting things that you, you said just there really was that you say to your manager, you say, I need to go now. For a lot of people, that's a very difficult because they don't have that trust and relationship to be able to say, you know, I, I need to, to leave this meeting now. How did you get to that stage? Or is that just something that you do? Oh, wow. No, no, no. I think um, I've had... Even now, you know, I can't say that I'm in a, in a position where I am the person who, who one, knows the answers, uh, and two, fully understands how I always end up yeah. there, and three, understands how to get out of that situation. I still don't know for certain how you manage that. And I think it's, I think sometimes it's like this energy that comes yeah. that is overpower, overwhelming. Yeah. 
and you, you're not quite always sure what, how you got there because sometimes the trigger point is is subtle and therefore you're like wow how did that how did this even yeah. happen and the way i describe it is like when you pull your back right so you're you've been working all day long you've been lifting stuff you've been carrying stuff and you walk home hours later you pick up a tin of beans in your back yeah. and you're like well, i only picked up a tin of beans i've been picking heavy stuff up all day and it's the tin of beans that that pulled my back and sometimes i feel the your emotions are exactly like that. It's, it's not, and it may not be the person who has put you under the pressure that makes your yeah. head go. So it's, it's kind of like that cup analogy that you know, you, everyone's got a different size cup and your cup's been filling up all day. You've not had a chance to let it drain out. And then somebody's just adding another whack on top. And I experienced that, I think, uh, a good few months ago now where I had a very negative experience in my work. Uh, and uh, I felt like you did, you know, I just felt like everyone was sort of ganging up on me uh, within a, a, a meeting and uh, I, I was just I was just out. And the, the thing that I found difficult is one of the conscious things I was doing is all these shields and things I've been carrying, I felt I need to let them down and find the strength not, not, not to have these shields anymore. And that was an instance where it was like back shields up. I'm back in the forces again. Shields up. I can't be can't be me. I just need to be this guy again. Uh, and it's taken me again. It took me a good while to build that trust and get back. And the people involved in that weren't bad people. There were just some bad ways of using language and bad ways of approaching a thing. Exactly that. You're right. And they just in you know they you get some people who know they're pressing a button. And that, that's, the, yeah. that's the worst yeah. because they're like, I know I can press that button and it's gonna make them go off or, and then I could go, ah, prove my point. See, you're just, you know, you can't hold your nerve or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you, but most people, the reality is most people don't even know. They don't even know they're about to press that button. And they, you know, that's where you're sat in a room of really good, meaningful people who wanna do the right thing, but ultimately they, they can still press the button like anyone else. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That that how do you how, how then do you navigate that? So as as being neurodivergent people, so how do we explain that that thing? I mean, are you any thoughts on how we would do that? Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot. There needs to be trust, yeah. you know, and that's built over time. And if you've got a manager who's turning around and constantly focusing on why you've not done this and why you've not done that and why that is not, you know, and they may show that they want to help, but ultimately it always comes down to what you're not doing rather than what, yep. you, what you could do or how they can support you. It always comes down to that. There's, there's very rarely going to be trust there because you've seen it all before. I've been there before. Yep. You know, people say they, they want to do the right thing, but ultimately you let your guard down and you get attacked yeah. and you think, why did I let yeah. my guard down? And I think a lot of people have spent too many years being stigmatized uh, and being traumatized through these processes just to let their guard down because some person says, oh yeah, tell me, it's gonna be okay. Because so, in, in often it's not. But uh, so just, but, but this, I mean, we've got to try, right? Course, we've got to yeah. get there. And I think, um, I think the, what we need to understand is at the moment where we're at is that we, if we look at Superman, we consider this incredible human being who can fly, can shoot lasers from the eyes. Um, Superman is not disabled. How could Superman de be disabled, right? No, incredible human being who can do everything in the world. Um, yet, when you put Superman in a room of kryptonite, 
Superman is completely disabled. Yeah. Superman can no longer do any of those things. So did Superman, before that point in the movie, <laughs> did he know that he was disabled? Of course he didn't until he was surrounded by super, uh, kryptonite. And we all, at some point in our lives, will be surrounded by kryptonite because we will become disabled at some point in our lives. Whether it's because it's temporary, we broke an arm, a limb, um, whether it's we lost some sight or what, whatever, um, or we may have a breakdown psychologically because something yeah. has happened. So it's gonna happen to almost all of us at some point. And, and we need to then understand, okay, at, at that point of when it happens to us, how have we treated others, right? Yeah. Because we shouldn't have to wait to the point that it happens to change our yeah. thinking around how we look after. Because what we'll see is we'll say, what is a reasonable adjustment, right? Um, it's, for a lot of people, it's a pain. It's something they have to think about. It's some, for, to do for others. Oh, it might be extra technology, extra money. Oh, I'm gonna have to go and think about how I do it. The rest of the team members might moan because one person has headphones in the team, the other people don't, yeah. right? So rather than thinking, if somebody walked in tomorrow with a broken arm and said, I can't write, because my right arm is broken, so I can no longer take notes in meetings. That's the end of it. You look at that person, you know they ain't taking notes in meetings. Like, they, you make the adjustment. Yeah. Somebody else has to take notes in meetings, they got a broken arm. Yeah, but we don't do that with uh, neurological challenges within the workplace, right? If somebody says, I really can't do that because it has a massive negative impact on my mental health and well-being, you go, well, everyone else has to do it, so why don't you do it? Like, that person's got a, they've effectively got, they have a certain challenge around doing something because ultimately it's like having a broken arm in the brain. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it might be for a period of time until they can get over certain other challenges and then it's not an issue. Or it might actually be that the, for the lifetime of them working in that role, they need adaptations. Yeah. And those adaptations are going to get the best out of them um, rather than trying to force them to continue to write with a broken arm or get somebody to write with a left arm when they're right-handed or right arm when they're left-handed. Do you see what yeah. I mean? And as, as employers, as managers, we have to take the responsibility to help the individual because the individual may not see their disability. Yeah. And it's not just trust, it's psychological safety as well, is it? Is that creating that safe environment. One of the things that I always ask my engineers or recently started doing is, uh, how do I make you feel? Because I want to know, right? So if I'm not good, at, at caring and being the person that I want to be, I need somebody to tell me, you know, say, hey, you know, see what you're doing, that doesn't work for me. Fortunately, it's all shining, but it doesn't mean to need it will stay that I'm juggling my own things, I'm neurodivergent, I've got tons of stuff coming in, but I do always say, you know, see if you get a communication from there's something that comes from me, you go, that's annoyed me. Let's just talk about it because the chances are I've just not written it properly, you know? Uh, and that's that thing of creating that safe space where you can you can comment up that you can say anything to your line manager your boss and, and such that things like reasonable adjustments shouldn't be a thing you should just be able to order them yourself why do you need to go through a line who cares if you need a noise cancelling headset really crack on who, who cares if you don't have a bit of paper that says you need that why why do we put such a big a barrier, I, I think, just to access and that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, the reality is, is that I, I don't know how I would do a job without a computer. I still can't write properly. Yeah. I don't hold a pen properly. I can't spell properly. Um, I failed all my GCSEs virtually by a couple. I then failed at college. So like, I, I already have all of these challenges that started in early life. Yeah. 
Like, I'm not, oh, I, I'm not wasting any more time trying to overcome them, yeah. right? Because every, every moment I spend trying to overcome those things that everybody else nailed when they were like 10, 11, 12, 13, like times tables and stuff like that, um, and remembering where the letters go in the alphabet. Like, if I, if I really spend time trying to relearn or, or learn or whatever that stuff, like, I'm not doing the stuff I'm good at. The yeah. stuff that people say, Theo, wow, you're incredible there. Like, your creativity, your ability to think on your feet, you problem solve. Like, do they want me to do that thing that not many other people are doing? Or do they want me to go and learn how to spell properly and write with a pen that, like, 80% of the rest of the population in this country, well, 50 60%, they can already do that. All the people in the organisation can already do that stuff, and they're going to do it a million times better than I'll probably ever do it in my yeah. life. So the one big thing I learned was, like, I'm no longer going to no let other people's um, issues become my yeah. issues, right? I'm just going to think, I'm going to smash what I can out of the pack, I'm going to move... I'm going to move the brick walls out of my way where I can and where people insist that they put them in front of me, then I've got to accept that maybe that's not the route in the journey for me and extract myself where I can. But the reality is that not everybody's in a position they can yeah. do that, right? And that's what we have to be honest about. And some people now struggling. They're really struggling in life. Yeah. So um, that's, that's where I really have concerns, that those people can't just walk out that door and say, I'm not putting up with this. It's what they have to continue to do. And that's where we need to force the conversation into organisations to say, you've got to do right by these individuals because they don't have as much choice. That, that's it. And, and to understand things like complementary cognition, where actually, where are Theo's strengths? Where can we use Theo? And where is that kryptonite? Let's get rid of that. Let, let, let's uh, If that, that task that we think that everyone should do, actually, some people aren't great at it, why do we need to force that? You know, and I'm not a believer in that. And I think one of the things, you know, being ex sort of Royal Air Force and having worked in the with the, the police, which are terrible organisations, by the way, for any of this. And and imagine if anyone listening, they might complain. So we we've got this and this. The reality is, on the ground, I never experienced any thing that I couldn't. I mean, I had to mask all the time, be something that 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 I, I wasn't. And, and trying to get these organisations not to do it so that, because quite often it's just like, this is what we're doing and it looks all rosy outside, but the inside is completely different and stays the same. You know, you might get a few higher ups that say, actually, I'm neurodivergent and look look how wonderful this organisation is. But they've no real concept of what it's like to come in on the ground and to experience negative culture day in, day out, and be someone that, you're not and the energy that that saps from you yeah complaining about your emails and not having spelling the amount of i mean being in recruitment i've seen too many things i've heard too many yeah. things i've been a party of too many things that embarrass me as a human being um the reality is and that's not down again it's not often down just to individuals it's down to like the the culture of organizations or of teams or and and it becomes systemic you know it just it just carries on and on and on and nobody changes yeah. it. And even though, like you say, some people start to comment at the top, it just carries on. And, and if we think on a base level, like if somebody's writing an email and they do that every day and all you're doing is moaning to them about their spelling, their dyslexic, like you're chipping away at that person's yeah. ability to feel good about themselves. Like you're basically calling them rubbish every single day of their life. How can you expect somebody to perform well? How can you expect somebody to 
show care and compassion to others within that environment. If that's all you ever show to them, it's tough. It's really tough. And I mean, that, that is where we come down to an individual level of where you can decide how you treat another person tomorrow and you can change that. Yeah, but it's interesting, though, Theo, that I don't know if you've noticed it, certainly a lot of the organisations, particularly certainly one that I'm involved with just now, all this movement seems to come from the ground and has to filter up as opposed to be real organisational-led change, you know. As I say, they make it all rosy from the outside, but it's people like you and I uh, and lots of friends that have and acquaintances that actually say, we're not standing for this anymore. We're going to stand up and make a difference. And I just find that bizarre. Well, I think it depends on organisational size as well. And that's, you know, the, the reality is, is if you see... Um, quite a lot of the organisations that have been early front runners in um, kind of neurodiversity programmes, autism at work programmes, whatever, either they're the consultancies and those consultancies have, are trying to stay four steps ahead because they're the organisations advising the other big organisations, yeah. right? So they're one element and they think, okay, well, we need to get this figured out. So we'll create an autism award programme over here and we'll build it out. Right? Okay, I'm not calling that. That's fine. But that is maybe segmented from the rest of the organisation. So in, to your point there, the organisation might not feel the benefits of what's going on in there, at least not short term. The other aspect is maybe tech companies, big tech companies that realise that a proportion of this uh, uh, minority group, if you want to call it that, have incredible abilities in tech. So they go, whoa, we want to capitalise yeah. on this. We're going to create some, some ability to do that and then work through it. And then there's the other organisations that with a true belief that you have to do right um, by these people um, who've been marginalised and who say, OK, well, we're going to find work for them no matter what. Um, uh, if you think of like Specialist Turn, for example, yeah. you know, and then other organisations capitalising and benefiting from that. So when you think of it in that concept, you then start to understand why um, lots of people on the ground look around the organisation, these big organisations, and they still don't see representation. They still, don't, they still don't see the benefits of what is being vocalised at the top or through the communications or PR of these yeah. organisations. And they're like, I, I, I see what you're saying and I love it, but yet I'm not feeling yeah. it, right? And, but then where, we see, where I see organisations making a real rapid difference are those organisations with less layers of bureaucracy yeah. and red tape. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you've only got two lines between you and the CEO, you can go knock on the door of the CEO and go, like, this is impacting me, my daughter or my son, three years on a waiting list. Yeah. I'm not having my daughter get to work and not be able to access work when she spent all this time not being able to access the education yep. system. I'm not letting it happen as a dad, yeah. and I'm a dad in your company. I'm working hard and doing brilliant work for you. Do you want to retain me? Yes? Well, help me help my daughter. Yeah. And, the, and the CEO then can go, whoa, wow. Like, yeah, exec team, let's get around the table. Let's figure out how we can help Theo, this really important person within our organization. All of a sudden, you can see rapid change. And I've seen this through um, other organizations, uh, smaller organizations that can literally make rapid change. Now, the problem is, that is a drop in the yeah. ocean. Because if they're a company like 300, 400, 500 people, they're still only then impacting on a small proportion, unless they then start to figure out their own PR to share that work with others, which is starting to happen. But you're still a drop in the ocean. We really do need to, 
um, we really do need to help the big organizations yeah. to really transform and make sense of this right across the organization to enable those people who are coming up to really have some voice and value uh, within that organization because that'll make the real uh, long-term sustainable difference. The difficulty I have understanding though is it's not the policies and procedures that are the issue. I mean, what I found is people find red tape as opposed to remove red tape. It's almost like sometimes you go with a pitch to make something better. I mean, for be it mental health or be it uh, neurodivergent uh, thinking. And it's almost like, aha, right, I see what you're saying. Here's some red tape. I, I've got quite a few of them here. There you go. Uh, and and, they, and rather than go, let's see how we move around this, because clearly you're passionate about this, it's more of, there's the red tape, uh, see you later. Yeah, 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 that's, that's fascinating. Let me challenge that, right? Because in, in an interesting way, it could be uh, neurodiversity as a concept in itself that turns in on itself in that instance. And let me just explain what I mean by that. So... When we consider neurodiversity and we consider um, maybe narrow uh, cognitive skills, right? So you may be incredibly good at a narrow area. So, you know, mathematics, science, arts, yeah. music, and you may struggle in other areas. So we, we understand this as kind of spiky profiles or um, strengths and analysis or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, so if we think about that and we have these people who are hyper-focused in certain areas, it's reasonable to say that we have people who are rules-based right who they yeah. live their lives yeah. in a world that is defined by um boxes yeah right and if um, you know if we think about uh, uh, uh you know um the, the way that we now capture information and secure it is in boxes yeah. right yeah. so you know that is that's fundamentally how we're now able to utilize ai and machine learning the way that we do it in the way to be able to uh, capture information, it's such vast amounts of information in boxes. So we need these people, they're incredible. But now you put that individual into your work environment where you're asking them, because they may be in a senior leadership position, they may hold the key to a certain journey that you're trying to go. That person is super rules-based and therefore whenever a decision comes to them, what they look is they look for the evidence base across the organization to make a decision. Now, you know, because of your experiences and everything else, that where you're trying to get to is fundamentally the right thing for humanity. But this person is rules-based, yeah. right? And what they're gonna do is they're gonna look across their organization's rules, and you're gonna really struggle to communicate and convince them otherwise, unless you can, can change the red tape, the organization rules. So what I tend to find in those organizations is, if you find that you hit that place, best step back, Longer term, it's like influencing the government. They can be transient. So dare I say it, that person at some point might go away. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, they might, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so that like, like a politician or a head of state might go away at some point. They might get changed and you might find a different person with a different rules base, right? Or you need to focus your energy because of the way your mind works, potentially. You're constantly looking and adapting yeah. to what's going in. You are always at the front of stuff and you're willing to take the risks, you need to find the roots within your organizations where you meet like-minded people who are willing because they know they have the confidence that they're allowed to give you the space to make those decisions, take those risks. Because otherwise, if you constantly find yourself 
in that other space, it will have a massive negative impact on your mental health and well-being because you'll never be allowed to take the risks that allow you to be able to solve the problems that you know you can solve. And I think that's really key. And I don't think enough people realise that. And they spend too yeah. long banging on the door that's never going to open. See, I, I didn't realise that. The way you've put that there is, is changing for me, actually, listening to that. Because that's a really, yeah, that's really poignant. Because rules don't mean a lot to me, <laughs> you know. T totally. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that because, yes, that is totally where I'm going wrong. So let me, let me, um, Covey said it really well, really neatly uh, in the seven habits of highly effective people, yep. right? He said, seek first to understand, then to be understood, right? And what's really important about that is that was a sales technique, right? That don't go into a sale trying to sell yep. something to somebody before truly understanding why it is they stood in that room. Like, and don't get me wrong, I'm saying this, it's not always easy to yeah. implement it, and you you might be, uh, your head might be about to explode because you're dealing with somebody who's rules-based, right? But their head might be about to explode because they are still in a similar psychological position to you, yeah. right? They can't get over the fact you're trying to break their rules. Yeah. And you can't get over the fact they're trying to put all these rules on you. It's ah! that double so, empathy sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can try and go, this person who's almost exploded in my mind, maybe their mind's exploding. Yeah. So maybe I need to step away from them and explain to them that I'm a rule breaker. What rules can I break with you and what can't I? You know, yeah. and I understand that there may be no rules I can break with you because the most important thing for you is that you follow the letter of the law within that organization. And even though you and I know that laws, right, they're created by experience. So they evolve and they change, yeah. just like language, yeah. right? But you and I can say that till the cows come yeah. home. It is not going to change the way that person's brain works. And we need those people's brains because they ensure the integrity of rules, of laws, and ensure that people don't just go around breaking into and causing all kinds of havoc. So we need those two types of people, but sometimes we need them not to work together as much as we need them to work together. Yeah. Mate, mate, that that is one of the most incredible things that I've ever heard. Because one of the things I love about this journey I'm on is people that get influenced and change how I think and view the world. And you've just you've just done that in that that statement. That has totally changed the way I view the situations that that I've faced. Uh, My gift to you, mate. Amazing. So one of the things I wanted to go just before we finish up uh, our, our chat was to talk about how do you go about making a book you know because one of the, the, the big things you know you say you need dyslexia ADHD, everything that you mean i just can't imagine trying to focus and write a book yet and i've already been learning lots particularly around language because one of the things i struggle with is do we class ourselves as neurodiverse neurodivergent uh, but really interesting that you were able to with amanda create this amazing resource yeah, so language comes back to exactly the point I just mentioned. I won't go on too much about that to answer your question, but it's exactly that. If you're rules-based, neurodivergent, it makes sense in the English language yeah. to them. Do not break that rule. Yeah. For me, it's neurodiverse because I go, the ling English language changes all the time. And they go, but it's not, it's not accurate. It doesn't fit into the English language. It's not rules-based. You know, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter because it's the way I feel. Yeah. And the way I feel is more important than the, the rule around the language. But to somebody who's rule-based, no, 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 no. You can't break the rule. Yeah. 
and, and again, this is why I'm always very conscious of the fact I say uh, neurodiverse or neurodivergent depending on your preference, right? Yeah. And, but you will get people who will shout me down and go, no, 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 you cannot say that. And I'll go, okay, I accept the fact that you feel that way. However, I feel differently. But let's move on because we both want to get to the same place, yeah. right? We both want to achieve the same objectives and that's to eliminate the stigma and, and the fact that we've been marginalised. Both you and I have been marginalised. We may feel differently about this, but ultimately the bigger picture is that we feel the same. So, so that's one yeah. bit that, that plugs into that. And um, the other bit is around how I write a book. Well, I think a lot, and you'll get this, right? A lot goes on in my brain. And what I realized um, through the help of others is that we have things like podcasts, right? And when I met, when I met with this guy called Dan Kelsall, who's a disruptive marketeer, you know, he's Marmite. Um, and that's why he's so successful, because he challenges organizations to describe themselves in a way a lot of organizations are not comfortable with doing. But he's brilliant at what he does on, on that basis. And I met with him and said, I really want to make a difference with neurodiversity. I don't just want to be another mouthpiece. Um, I, I really, truly believe stuff needs to be said and stuff needs to be done. What should I do? And he said, do two things, Theo. He said, I've seen you talk, talk more. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, the other thing is write an ebook because then you can capture people who want to sign up for the ebook. You can build a community around that, start to understand people, and, and you can learn from that. So I was like, amazing. But I thought, before I write an ebook, this is just an ebook, yeah. right? Like maybe a thousand words or something, two thousand, three thousand. Before I go and do that, I'll go and speak to people who've written books. Because who's best to learn about writing an ebook than somebody who wrote a book? Yeah. And I spoke to two people um, Katrina Collier and Matt Alder. Matt Alder's written a couple, Katrina Collier's written one in my space. Yeah recruitment, right? And they both turned around and went, Theo, we know you, I, they, they've interviewed me, I've spoken to them, they've seen me speak and they were like, you need to write the book on this, the book is not there, you are, you are part of this community and recruitment, HR, write the book. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. But because they gave me some good advice, do a podcast, speak to lots of people and capture that information, I was then able to transcribe that through modern technology effectively I have my words yeah I then just had to think about okay what's my voice and therefore put my words I then had to think about how to connect those dots and I then had to think about do I really want to be the single voice on this subject even though I understand recruitment I don't understand the wider impact yeah. from a like medical perspective yeah. and a research perspective and and I thought you know I I wanted to and I did a bit of work with Amanda and I, 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 me and Amanda talked about this concept and she was like, yeah, let's, let's see. And let's see became let's do. <laughs> and let's do became two years of us working together yeah. on this incredible journey. And, and that, that's really how it came about. And two of us had ADHD and other stuff. So it, like the amount of times we did not get stuff done. Uh, you know, it took two years when it should have took one. Um, but... We, by the end of it, we did not want to stop because we felt there was plenty more to be said. And that felt quite powerful. Um, but we did stop and we got 110,000 words out there. And uh, it feels good to, to look back and think I did that, but it was an out-of-body experience, if I'm honest with you. And it's an amazing achievement. And uh, and as I recommend anyone listening to, uh, to, to listen, not only listen to your, your, your podcast, I'll say it again, eliminating kryptonite and enabling superheroes, which which you've explained is fantastic. I love the way that you've explained that. And your book, Neurodiversity at Work, which is available on Amazon. So I, I guess to wrap up, 
I've got to say a big thank you because one of the big things I love is people that can change how I think and the trajectory. So not only were you doing that through your book, literally you've just changed my thought processes within this this short time we've spent together. So thank you, Theo. It means a, a hell of a lot. No, thank you, because actually um, it's difficult to play some of this out, the, the stuff that's in my head. So some of this stuff never comes out. It only comes out through having conversations with people who truly care uh, and are passionate about a subject. So actually the thank you goes to you because I don't know whether I've really vocalised or verbalised that in any real meaningful way before. Um, so that, but that's the power of getting two people together yeah. like us, right? So thank you so much. Amazing. Well, thanks and I hope to see you again sometime. Yeah, incredible. Thanks for tuning in to the Enigma podcast. Hosted and produced by me, Simon Macon. Graphics and research by Lena Hake. And the music for this podcast is called Enigma by Unwritten Stories, available on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for tuning in and stay safe. <laughs>